Hey everybody, this is Pastor Cor Chavis. Thank you so much for checking us out today at Truth Chapel's podcast. If this word has blessed your spirit or encouraged you, take a moment and leave us a quick review. Also, check us out at truth-chapel.com or any of our social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. God bless, and I pray you enjoy. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd like you to turn with me uh, to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, and there is only one chapter. So, the only chapter. Amen. As classes are being dismissed and you're turning uh, in your Bibles, amen, I would like to say I, I heard we had a great service here on Sunday. I was able to watch uh, several uh, minutes of, of the service from my hotel room uh, before I was heading out to go preach myself. Amen. It looked like you guys were having a great time. Brother John preached a great message. I was able to catch a lot of his message. Amen. I appreciate the team that we have. Amen. Sister Crawford, uh, I heard through the grapevine, tore it up. I, and she, everybody was like, whoa, she can sing. What? Amen. I've heard... Uh, I, I haven't watched the archive yet of that, but I will be watching that. I heard she did a great job, Amen. And and um, I want to let you know that I'm 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 not always traveling. I'm not always on the road, and I'm probably only going to miss uh, maybe one or two more Sundays for the rest of this year, and that'll be for vacation time for me and my family. Uh, I may miss a couple more Tuesday nights uh, throughout the year. I do not like being away. I do not like being away. I do not like. Uh, I, I'm I'm almost. Uh, it's almost no good for me now, nowadays to go preach somewhere on a Sunday because my mind's 10 other places. As soon as I got off the platform preaching on Sunday, I went immediately and was texting, hey, how'd everything go? Everything was fine. Did, did the church burn down? Everybody good? You know. And, and maybe that's a, a little bit indirect too because the very first Sunday morning I ever missed at this church wasn't long after we started. We had been, we had been going for maybe a couple months, and I missed a Sunday morning. It was the very first Sunday morning that me and Amanda ever missed and a lady fell off the front uh, step and broke her hip so I get a phone call you know lady fell broke her hip we got an ambulance out here I'm like Jesus name. Uh, so every time I leave now I'm like Lord please don't let nobody fall break nothing hurt nothing uh, but I'm so glad we have a great team I'm so glad that if you have a visitor and you show up on a Sunday morning and pastor isn't here, you still know that the music's going to be good, the preaching's going to be good, everything's going to be good. You don't have to worry as people aren't losing their mind. And I'm so glad, I'm so uh, appreciative of the team we have here at True Chapel. And that team is only going to get better as time progresses. And I'm glad to be a part of a church where it's not just about one man. Okay. I got 20... 20 amens on that one in a little bit. I'm glad that I'm a part of a church that's not about one person. Amen. And that we have a team, and this is a church body and a church family, and we're all working together. Amen. All right, good. Welcome back. Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 1. If you have it, just say amen. Um, Jude chapter 1, verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, 
it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to stop right there and, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go forward from there. Let's pray together. God, I love you tonight. I thank you, Lord, for bringing us to this place. I thank you, Lord, for letting us have this time together. I pray that your word will speak to our hearts tonight. I pray you will teach us, God, learn us, God, grow us, mature us. And God, we'll be careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for it. Everybody shout in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Um, <clears throat> the book of Jude is... Uh, the book of Jude is a very particular book that I like. Uh, it was written by a man named Judas. Uh, I know the book is called Jude, but his name was Judas. Uh, but after Judas did what Judas did, uh, they stopped calling him Judas. They started calling him Jude. <laughs> Not to be confused with the Judas that betrayed Jesus. This was Judas, the brother of James. Now, if he was the brother of James, uh, James uh, and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, not the brother of James, Jesus, uh, the, the, the brother of James, the brother of Jesus. But Judas was um, uh, the brother of James. And for, in my, uh, just, just my personal opinion, there's no Bible or no record of this. But for some reason, uh, they call him Judas in the very beginning of uh, the apostles but near the end of it, and near the end of Jesus' life, they no longer call him Judas, but they call him Jude. Uh, just my opinion that uh, they found a better name for him. They didn't want him to be confused with Judas that betrayed Jesus Christ. But he wrote this book about 70 years after Jesus was dead. So he, he had watched time change. He had watched... Uh, all of the particulars change within the Christian movement. At that time, it was not really fully known as the Christian movement. At the time of Christ's death, uh, there was no such thing as a Christian. The Bible tells us that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That was much, much later on, several years after the death of Jesus Christ. Um, so Jude has had a bird's eye view, so to speak, on what is happening in the culture and in the atmosphere of the church. He has seen the church grow. He has seen, um, you know, Acts chapter 2. He was there in the upper room. He, he, he experienced this new birth. He uh, baptized in Jesus' name. He has seen the workings now of Paul. He has also read... Um, Peter's books, uh, because there's several scriptures here in his in his book that is so closely written to the the second book of Peter, uh, Peter one, two, and three. Uh, they're so they're so closely written that uh, the theologians believe that he would have had to have read Peter first uh, because he was able to write this down with with almost parallel view of what Peter was seeing in the culture of the church at that time as well. Um, Jude doesn't have a whole lot to say. 
He only has one chapter. Everybody else, you know, has a whole lot to say. They have several chapters. Even when Paul writes to Titus, he at least puts three chapters in there to Titus. But Jude only has one thing he wants to say. Jude's uh, message is very uh, direct. His message is very clear. Jude has reached a point in his life where he has seen enough that he is writing to the church. And he writes this. He, he actually wrote this from uh, Palestine, and he addresses it to Christians in general. This is the overview of the chapter or the book, is that this is an address to Christians in general. And it's designed uh, to put Christians on guard. Uh, the book of Jude is a call to awaken. It is a call to pay attention. The book of Jude is a call to, hey, look around you. Uh, Jude is very uh, specific on why he's writing. And not only why he's writing, but who he's writing to. He is not writing to a specific group of Christians. He is not writing to a specific church. He's not writing to a specific area, but he is writing to everybody who considers themselves to be Christians. It is a very designed uh, plan, and it is a very designed book. He starts the book uh, by, you know, the typical sundries. Uh, Greetings to you, uh, my brothers. Greetings to you, uh, and mercy be unto you. Peace and love be multiplied to everybody that's sanctified by God. He's, there, there's no specific uh, group of people here. He's writing to them that are sanctified. He is writing to the church in general. And he begins by saying, Beloved, when, when I sat down and thought about writing this, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Now, for years, you know, I would read this book, and um, I even heard people preach about the common salvation, the general salvation, the salvation that we all uh, have and and the salvation that uh, Christianity in itself uh, praises and worships and we're saved and I'm saved and you're saved, the common salvation. But when I begin to look up the word common that he uses here, It's a word that simply means ceremonially profane, common, ceremonially defiled, unclean, unholy, ordinary. By the Jews, this word is considered unholy, unhallowed, profane, and Levitically unclean. So he says, I'm writing to you about the unclean, uncommon, or the unclean, common, profane, disgusting salvation. He says, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. In the very beginning of it, when he talks about the common salvation, it's a little bit confusing. Because we see our salvation as beautiful. We see our salvation as awesome. We see our salvation as wondrous. 
glorious, but he calls it profane and defiled and unhallowed and unholy. But as he continues to talk, you see what he's talking about. He said, I wanted to write to you about this common salvation because I want you to contend for the original salvation. I want you to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto you. He said, for there are men that have crept in among us unaware. These men were once called to this condemnation. But they are bringing us false doctrine or false salvation. He calls them ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now, when he gets right about here, my understanding is opened. Because I'm trying to figure out what he's talking about, who he's talking about. Why is he considering the common salvation to be unholy? Why is he considering the common salvation to be profane? And he's wanting us to contend for the original doctrine. And the reason that Jude is writing this is because he has lived long enough that he has seen men rise up within the ranks of Christianity, not, not men outside of Christianity, but men within inside this, this condemnation, this Christian walk. He has seen men raise up and begin to change the very fabric and the very DNA of truth. He has seen men come into the church once called to this condemnation that have now taken what Peter said once, that faith once delivered, that that doctrine and truth that they were living by in the early chapters of Acts. Seventy years later, he is now seeing that it's already changing. Uh, you know, this kind of you know opens my eyes a little bit that that what we are seeing today in our society has really been going on for a long time, and and what we are now seeing with our with the Christian movement, you know, we expect it from the world, we expect it from sinners, we expect it from the uh, you know the profane, we expect it from people that live in debauchery, we expect it from. Uh, people that don't believe in God. I expect this from the agnostic. I expect this from the atheist. But there are now Christians saying things. I can't believe Christians are saying this. Christians are allowing things. I can't believe Christians are allowing this. That somehow God changed overnight. That what God hated back then, God's okay with now. Are you with me so far? Jude is trying to get the church to see, hey guys, wake up. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are men among us. They've turned, they're ungodly men, and they've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. That word lascivious there has has a lot of different meanings, but let me me pull some things out of it. It's a word uh, pronounced asilagia. It is a compound word, and um, it's a word that apparently means um, that Whatever is lasciviousness, it, it, vices, filthiness, uh, lasciviousness, and wantonness, it, it basically breaks down to this, unbridled lust, outrageousness, shamelessness, insolence, but it breaks down to excess. 
He said, these men have turned the grace of our God into outrageousness, shamelessness, lasciviousness, unbridled lust, and excess. Now I'm thinking, how in the world can you turn the grace of God into this thing? How can, how can you turn the grace of God into excess? How can you turn the grace of God into uncleanliness? I mean, it's, it's God's grace. How can you change God's grace? I mean, God's grace is God's grace. How can you flip God's grace? When I begin to think about this and begin to apply it to today's culture, I see what he's talking about. They have turned the grace of God into a cause to do whatever you want to do because God's grace. They've turned the grace of God into a cause to have unbridled lust, unbridled desires, and basically live any kind of lifestyle you want to live because God's grace is sufficient. And God's grace won't send anybody to hell. God's grace will not hold you accountable because God's so graceful you know, you can just do what you want to do. Have we heard anything like that recently? Have, have, have we uh, experienced uh, church like that? Have we heard about a God who will just literally let you do whatever you want to do, and at the end of time, you can just make it in the gate? He said, these men have turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. They've turned the grace of our God into an occasion to just do whatever you want to do and live ever how you want to live because God is graceful. But God's grace doesn't give me a license to live how I want to live. It's not what, that's not what grace is. Grace isn't a license to live how I want to live. Grace, is, grace pulled me out of what I was in. And because of God's grace, now that grace gives me a desire to live how he wants me to live. Grace doesn't, grace should not give me a desire to do what I want to do. Grace should give me a desire to do what God wants me to do. Does that make sense to you tonight? Grace should not give me the desire to say, I'm just going to go do what I want to do, live how I want to live, treat people how I want to treat people, you know, just uh, accumulate all kind of, of mess in my life and, and sin and whatever because I know God is going to fix it at the end. That's not how grace should work in my spirit. And the people that tell you that, the Bible says they're ungodly men. He said, I want to talk to you about the common salvation. This salvation that says you can do what you want to do. This salvation that says you can live how you want to live. This salvation that is common. Now, me and you have experienced the common salvation. I know folks that are saved. I mean, I was just blown away when they told me they were saved. I'm saved? Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I mean, because the fruit of your tree tells me that you are not saved. Oh, no, no, I'm saved. I was like six years old, man. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'm good. Well, who told you? Who told you that? Who told you you're good? Somebody somewhere told them that they were good because at some point in their life, they either received the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, or they accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, or they, you know, confessed with their heart, you know, or confessed with their mouth, believed in their heart, ever how it was. Somebody told them, you're saved and you're good now. And, and you know their lifestyle, and they're telling you, oh, I'm saved. Really? 
Because I live for God every day of my life. And I, I try hard to live right and live righteously. And I ain't even saved. Because I ain't heard no trumpet sound. I ain't seen no streets of gold. I ain't got no pearly gates in my face. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be saved. I have salvation. God is leading me to a place of salvation. But until he takes me out of here or the trumpet sounds, I'm justified. But I ain't, I'm not saved. He said, I want to I wanna help you and, and exhort to you that you should earnestly, earnestly contend, fight for that faith that was once delivered to the saints. That, that, that I want you to fight for that, that, for that salvation, that faith, that truth, that doctrine that was original. Because the longer we, now, now he's only 70 years removed from it. He's only 70 years removed from it. We are 2,000 years removed from it, ladies and gentlemen. It has changed so many times. It's even changed within our own ranks. I've seen it change even within our own ranks. What was right is now wrong, and what was wrong is now right. And this used to be okay, now it's not okay. And this used to not be okay, now this is okay. And I see it changing. So the only way that I have as a man of God and a priest of my home to find out what God wants is to literally pick up the Bible and look and read for myself. What did God say? What did the apostles say? Because that's what it means to be apostolic is to follow the apostles' doctrine. What did they say? Amen. I th- thank God for the, for the United Pentecostal Church International. If it wasn't for the UPCI, I would not be standing before you today. Thank God for the apostolic movement. If it wasn't for the apostolic movement, I would not be standing before you today. But w- if they ever move off of this doctrine, they got to go. I'm sorry. If they ever move off of what this says, God bless them. I love them. But I can't go with you now. I can't go with you now because you have taken the grace of God and you've turned it into lasciviousness he begins to explain more and he said uh, they turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ he said these the, the, these Christians who, who were once part of us uh, they've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness and they denied the only Lord God when when people begin to change their doctrinal stance, there are always two things that you're going to see happen. Number one, they're going to change their position on sin. That's the first thing that's going to happen. What used to be sin ain't sin no more. The first thing that always happens is always a, ter- a change in what is sin. Or how they would put it is this. What is a heaven or hell issue? Is it a heaven or hell issue, Pastor? Well, you don't really want me to answer that. What you want me to do is draw a line in the sand so you can see how close you can get to it. It might be a heaven or hell issue for me, maybe not for you. Maybe for you it is, maybe for me it's not. I'm not going to stand up here and say what's heaven and hell issues. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, repent of your sins, and you need to have a holy, separated lifestyle. That's as far as I'm going on what's heaven or hell issue. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to sit up here and, and chisel out rules for everybody. 
That's what happened in the Old Testament when God gave them 10, and, and by nightfall, they had 100. <laughs> Amen? That's not, what, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're not, we're not trying to go that route. So it's not about what's heaven or hell issues, but when people begin to break down on the doctrine and they begin to back up from God, the first thing they do is they begin to uh, adjust their own convictions. Well, I never believed that. So it, you know, it was never really my conviction. Well, yes, it was. God revealed it unto you, and you didn't do those things, but now all of a sudden you can do those things, and, and you know it's sin. You, you don't need nobody to tell you that it's, that it's not sin or it is sin. You know it's sin. But because it's okay for you to do it now, that's the first thing that happens. There's always a break on what is and what is not sin. And the second thing that happens is people get twisted on the doctrine of the Godhead. Now, tonight, I'm preaching to you biblical principles. However, in my personal life, I have several friends that I have been close to, like literally close to, hang out with, play golf with. I was there when their kids were born. I mean, like, shake hands, hug necks. That's my bro-ham. We hanging out playing golf, chilling, I mean friends. I'm talking, I'm talking about acquaintances. I'm talking about friends. These are friends of mine that I grew up with. Later on in their life, they used to shout at me at youth camp, stuff like that, and, 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 and I even heard them preach and, and sing. Later on in their ministries, when they realized that they were going to have to make a separation from some things and people, the first thing they did, this is by actual this is not what I read. This is not what somebody told me. I didn't read this in a blog. This, I saw this happen with my own eyes. The very first thing was they began to talk about, well, you know, what's sin and what's not sin? They started getting funny on what was sin and what wasn't sin. And I was like, why are we having this conversation right now? Like, is it, is it a conviction for you or not? Well, I just don't know if this is if this right, you know. I, I think sometimes we do things because men told us to do it, and we don't really have no Bible for it. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about this. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me show you Bible for it. I mean, if it was Bible that you wanted, I, I got Bible. I thought you wanted Bible. Well, I, I'm just, oh you, don't, oh, you don't want Bible. Me and one gentleman had an argument literally for like two hours in a restaurant one night, just me and him. And he was just so convinced. He was just so convinced at this one subject. And I literally shot holes all through his theory. Not using my opinion, I used scripture. And every time, every time I would shoot a hole in his theory, he'd be like, well, you know, that's that, you know. And he would always try to, I said, hold up, no, this is what you said. Now I'm showing you what the Bible said here. I know the Bible. I'm going to take you to verse in scripture. I'm not going to be arrogant about it or be rude. I'm just going to show you what the Bible says. Eventually, two hours later, he literally looked at me and said, well, you know, the Bible was written by men, fallible men. I said, okay, wait a minute. Do you not believe in the 100% uninfallibility of the Bible? He said, no, no. He said, no, I think, I think that too many men, too many men have to put their hands on the Bible to really trust it. I said, well, man. Let's talk about politics or something. Let's talk about sports because we can no longer have a religious conversation. 
Because literally my whole foundation is the word of God. Everything I believe is on the word of God. And if something, if you don't believe it, then we can't debate. We can't have, we can't have, I'm not going to debate you. The Bible tells us not to debate. I'm not going to debate you, but I can't prove to you the, the truth of God's word if you don't believe in it. That's like you pulling out Harry Potter and trying to convince me of some Harry Potter junk. I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not even reading that book, number one, but it's a fictional book. And you cannot experience anything in that book. You know what makes a book fictional? Is you can't experience anything in it. Y'all don't know nobody that can get on a broom and fly. Not one person. And if you do know them, please unfriend them immediately. Y'all don't know one person that can take a little wooden stick and make a chicken pop out of the middle of the air. Uh, Maybe a magician. Maybe David Copperfield in a show. But you don't know nobody that can do it for real. And if they can... Don't be around them either. It's, you can't experience it. It's fiction. However, I've experienced everything in this Bible. I've experienced it. I've spoken tongues. I have felt God in the room. I have seen God raise the dead right in front of my eyes. It's, it, you can only call it fiction up to a point. If there's no experience in it, but I've I've literally watched those men who were wishy-washy on something, literally, I've watched them with my own eyes on, you know, podcasts and, and on archive videos preach about the Trinity and preach about, you know, I saw one of them, you know, at the end of a big service, you know, for those of you that are coming forward and, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, come stand around the front. They stood around the front, and he had them say a prayer. And when they prayed, he said, let's rejoice with all these that have been saved tonight. And I, I thought, well, you know, that's great. That's a, you know, thank God for them coming forward and repenting. Thank God for that. But you just told them they were saved, and that, I don't got no Bible for that. I don't got no Bible for what, what just happened. But two years ago, you were literally praying people through to the Holy Ghost and baptizing them in Jesus' name. What happened in two years? Wake up, church. There are men that have crept in unawares, called to the same condemnation, that have turned the grace of God into lascivious, and now they're denying the only Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I will... I want you to follow me along here. If you can go to verse uh, verse 5. Here we go. You're on it, Gary. He said, I will, therefore, put you in remembrance. Though ye once knew this. He's, I'm I'm going to remind you, even though you you once once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. Now, I want y'all to remember this is, New Testament. This ain't Old Testament. This is New Testament. He said, I want you to remember. I'm, he said, I know y'all know this. This is, our, this is our past. This is our history. I know you know this. But when the Lord brought them out of Egypt, afterwards, those that couldn't believe, those that would not go into Canaan, he killed them in the wilderness. They died. They walked around in circles for 40 years, and everyone over the age of 20 literally died because not about people dying, but God had to change a mentality. God had to kill a mindset. God had to kill a generational curse. They couldn't believe it. And so he 
destroyed them. He said, I don't know if you forgot that or not. He said, and the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. He said, even the angels, I don't know if you remember this, but remember the angels that couldn't stay right, he cast them out of heaven and put them in ever bounding chains. He's trying to get the church, he's trying to get the Christians to remember. Wait a minute, guys. Have we forgot who God is here? Have we forgotten how powerful God is now? Have we forgotten who exactly God is? He's trying to remind us all that there's a judgment day coming. He's trying to remind every one of us, hey, God is gracious and God is merciful. But if you remember, this is how God works. He saves you. He brings you out. But in the end, if you don't believe, he will destroy you. He might have destroyed you now. He's not going to destroy you now. That's not, that's not who God is. But there's coming a day of judgment. And all of us will have to stand before him on the day of judgment and answer for our deeds. Real glory. Verse number seven, he said, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. Let me just stop here. While I'm being streamed on the internet, let me just stop here and just let you know about this. So he reminds them of Sodom and Gomorrah, how they just turned themselves over to fornication. You see, Sodom and Gomorrah's sin was, had a lot to do with sexual sins. Sodom and Gomorrah just gave themselves over to fornication. Everybody sleeping with everybody. And then he said, and going after strange flesh. Well, that word strange he used there, that word strange is a word called heteros, or it's of uncertain affinity, or different, or altered, or strange, or the other, or another. It is speaking of quality, of nature, of form, class, and kind. It comes from a word you may have heard before called hetero. Heterosexual. He's saying they gave themselves over to strange flesh, or he's saying men were sleeping with men and women were sleeping with women. That's what he's saying. Say so they gave themselves over to homosexuality. It's quiet in the house right now. This is the New Testament, and I'm not wanting to uh, offend no homosexuals, but can I preach against homosexuality for a moment? It is a sin. God does not approve of it. He puts it in the same category as fornication. If you're fornicating, you're no better than a homosexual. You're having sex out of wedlock, and if you're a homosexual and you're having sex with a man or a woman, and you're a man or a woman... It's definitely out of wedlock because you cannot properly be married in the sight of God. You might better be married in the state of California, but in the sight of God, you're not married. 
And no matter how much you fight in the political world, you're not going to change the Bible. And no matter how much it's socially acceptable, you're not going to change the Bible. And I believe you can be healed and delivered from homosexuality just as you can be delivered from alcohol and drugs. And, and, you know, and I, I personally have a little bit of a problem with it because it's becoming so socially acceptable that if you're heterosexual, you're almost a weirdo now. And if you don't believe in homosexuality, you know, you're, you're a, a, a bigot or you're a hate monger. It's, I'm not against homosexuals. I'm against the homosexual agenda. We got people fighting over baking cakes for homosexual people. Will you bake a cake for an alcoholic? Why don't we be involved in certain things? Well, if a person comes into your store and asks you to bake a cake that has beer cans on it, you're going to do it? Yes, you're going to do it. So stop. This is a, it's a mute point. You cannot legislate holiness. We're not going to win this battle in the White House. Let me say it again. You cannot legislate holiness. It's a mute point. Don't get upset about it. If they win every judgmental, you know, legislative deal from now until the end of time, who cares? They're going to legalize marijuana. So what? We got people losing their mind because they legalizing marijuana. Who cares? They legalized alcohol a long time ago. It's way worse than marijuana. Why are we fighting over that? We're picking and choosing our sins. Hello? Got a bunch of sin graders in the house. I'm not a sin grader. It's sin. And you need to be delivered from it. You need to be delivered from alcohol and drugs and homosexuality. You need to be delivered from it. It's a sin. God don't like it. You can't go to heaven and do it. You can't go to heaven and fornicate either. I know we ain't got no fornicators in the room. I'm just saying. Don't get nervous. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It will send you to hell just as quick. We got too many Christians standing up on their high horse talking about what they don't do. And if we knew what you did do, they'd send you to hell just as quick. Some folks can go to hell over a bad attitude. And that's just pitiful because that's at least something you can control. But there are people that are addicted to drugs, and some of y'all know because you got family members that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. They're pitiful. They want to be free from it. If you ask them right now, you want to be free from it, they say, yes, please help me. But they're so addicted to it. They're bonded by it. They're bound by it. It's, it's, it's a spirit. And, and it's time for the church to stand up and preach against sin in general. We got to preach against sin. It is sin. It is sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Hmm. So they went going after strange flesh and are, and, uh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. Over, or eternal fire. 
He said, likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. That word dominion means government. He said they despise government. He ain't talking about White House government. He's talking about religious government. They despise God's authority in their life. Sometimes I wonder if Jude was living in 2015. Like, Jude, are you, are you here right now, Jude? This was only 70 years after Christ died. But Jude's writing this book as if he is literally reading USA Today. He's writing this book. You know why? Because sin has always been a problem. This isn't nothing new, church. What we're facing today in our world, I need some of y'all to take a deep breath and relax because the stuff that we're facing today in our world, they faced it 70 years after Jesus Christ died. Sin ain't going nowhere. What we need is for the Jews to stand up and say, hey, pay attention, everybody. Sin is sin, and you will go to hell if you do it. It isn't something that needs to be debated on Facebook. You can't debate on Facebook, no way. It's a a mute point. Stop it. I see people getting in so many arguments on Facebook about stuff that it's not going to matter. Number one, it don't matter because they don't believe it anyway. You're literally talking to a signpost. They don't even believe the Bible is true. (laughs) And you're trying to get them with scripture? Stop it. I know what I believe. I know what I believe. And when other people don't believe it, it doesn't offend me because I know what I believe. I feel sorry for you that you don't believe this because I know that this is true and this is going to get you to heaven. But it doesn't make me angry that you don't believe it with me. It makes me sad for you. I'm not going to fight you over what you believe and what you don't believe because I don't want you fighting me over what I believe either. I want to be able to believe what I believe freely without the risk of you trying to make me feel like I'm an idiot for believing it. The problem is, is that world preaches tolerance only if you are tolerating them. They will not tolerate you. They don't preach tolerance. They preach tolerance one way. So if you jump in that fight and start trying to fight it, they're going to eat you up. You're going to be wondering, why why, why do y'all come against me personally? Just stay out of that fight. You're not going to win that fight. God doesn't need you to fight for him. His word speaks for himself. What we need is people that know what they believe. I know what I believe. Jude is speaking to the Christian church. Jude is saying, church, what do you believe? You got to contend earnestly for that original faith. You got to believe it like the old folks believed it. Amen? I know that's cliche, but that old time religion is still good enough for me. I want to believe it like they believed it. I want to have those convictions, those, those separations, those, those levels that, that keep me from being sucked into the vortex that is the world. Amen. He said they despise government. They speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, 
The law rebuke you. <laughs> the archangel Michael did not come against Satan as Michael against Satan. He came against him and said, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not getting into a fight with you, Satan. This is between you and God. The Lord rebuke you. He did not bring against him a railing accusation. He didn't start attacking the devil and saying, you this and you this and you that. He just said, in the name of Jesus. The Lord rebuke you. I'm not going to get into a shouting match with the devil. The Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. I'm not wrestling with you. I'm not sitting here spinning my head trying to figure out how to defeat you. In Jesus' name, you're defeated. Get out of my house, get out of my church, get out of my city. Sometimes we don't give the devil enough credit, but too many times we don't give him, we give him too much credit. The Lord has already defeated him. The Bible says, but the, in verse 10, I'm almost, I'm almost finished. I'll come back um, and, and finish this lesson out. But it says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally are as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. I'm finishing with this. In verse 10, he says this. They speak evil of things they don't know nothing about. He said, but what they do know, even as brute beasts, even as just animals, even as just human beings, they corrupt themselves. Even in what they do know. You don't need the Bible to tell you what is sin and what is not sin. He said, they'll speak evil about stuff that they don't even know about. But the things that they do know in their own spirit, even as human beings, even the Bible calls it brute beast or just a, just a brute man, just a, just a flesh man. Even those things that you know that you're born with genetically, those things that you know are wrong. Before anybody had to tell you it was wrong, he said, even in those things, they defile themselves because they know it's wrong, but they continue to do it. Nobody had to tell you had to lie. You came ready to lie. Built in. Lie included. Here is a seven pound, eight ounce, beautiful baby boy. Deceit included. Lying included. Mischievousness included. No need to go buy it anywhere. He came with it. And when he's one and a half years old and he got his arm this far down the cookie jar and you go, what are you doing? Nothing. He knew when he said nothing, he was lying. You didn't have to tell him he was lying. He knew he was lying. Why? Because just as a brute beast, there are things built into your system. And he said they want to talk about stuff they don't know about, but even the things they know, they still do sin against their own conscience. There's some things you don't need me to teach you. You know that it's wrong. You don't need the preacher. Young people, there's some stuff that you're doing right now, you know it's wrong. You don't need the youth pastor to tell you nothing. You don't need the youth pastor wife to tell you nothing. You know it's wrong. You did not need this lesson tonight. You don't ever need a lesson. You know it's wrong. If you continue to do it, and, 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 and not take any, any kind of responsibility for it. You just continue to do it knowingly that it's wrong. That's not good. Because now you're sinning against your own conscience. 
Now you've gone past sinning against God, and you've gone past sinning against the word. Now you're sinning against your own conscience. And if you think it's going to stop there, you're so sadly mistaken. It won't. Because once your conscience breaks down, the Lord turns you over to a reprobate mind, and you'll do stuff that you never thought you'd do. And you'll be wondering, how did I get here? I'll tell you how you got there. You kept doing what you knew was wrong. And you didn't need me to tell you it was wrong. You didn't need nobody to send you a letter, send you an email that this is wrong. You knew it was wrong, but you continued to do wrong. And it goes for all of us in the room. I'm going to finish this, this lesson on Jude. Stay with me all over the room. I'm going to finish this lesson at a later date, the, the book of Jude. But it's only one chapter. It's only one chapter. So it would be very easy for you to go home and just read this one chapter several times. The book of Jude is so full of stuff that pertains to this day and age because we are living in this. But the, almost the calming thing about it is this, is that that, that never goes away. It, it, was, it, it was literally happening 70 years after Jesus died, and it's happening today. It never goes away. It's not for the church. It's not for the church like he said about Michael, to bring railing accusations against anybody. It's not for the church to, to lose their mind and be so afraid about what's happening in the world. It's for the church to contend earnestly for that faith that was once delivered. What do you believe? With, without me standing on the platform, without me guiding you along in your belief system, what, what do you believe? What, what do you hold true? Because if you are content in that watching the world crumble down around you will not be such a heartache and a heartbreak it's it's gonna happen it's gonna happen it's happening already i mean i don't know if you picked up your newspaper lately or turn on a tv lately but it's happening it's it's literally happening all around us christians are having their heads cut off every day a couple weeks ago, they went into a college and literally went to room by room and said, who in this room are Christians? And those who raised their hand, they shot them on the spot, killed 147 people in one day, went room to room. Now, that first guy that raised his hand said, I'm a Christian. That first guy that raised his hand, I'm a Christian. He didn't know what was coming. Bam. That second guy, I don't think I can stack my faith up against his. That second guy that saw the first guy take a bullet to the head, and they said, who's Christian in this room? And he still raised his hand. That guy. I've seen that guy already in this book. He's in Revelation 21. You can find him there. The Bible said these are those that were beheaded for the name of Jesus Christ. And I know that guy didn't look like me, and he ain't from this country. And he probably ain't never in his life been in what he would consider to be an apostolic church. But when he stood up on his feet and said, that's me, and he took a bullet for the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. that man was confident in what he believed, Brother Gentile. That man knew what he believed. He wasn't worried about, what do y'all think I should do? Hey, 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 what do you believe? No, he stood up. He knew. He was confident in what he believed. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not too many years away from that happening on this soil. And you better know what you believe. You better have it set. You better have it set. Contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Because if you're lucky, you'll be the first guy. 
Everybody after that, you better know what you believe. You better have it sure in your spirit. It gives you a confidence to walk around. It gives you a confidence to speak to people. That's, I believe a lot of times we're not, we don't witness and win people because we don't even know what really, what really we believe. And when people start talking to us and stuff, we, we are almost ashamed of who we are and what we are because we don't truly know what we believe. But when you know what you believe and you are contending earnestly for that faith, it doesn't matter who you walk into. You're confident in it. You're confident in it. And there's too many of our young people that go to these colleges and meet super smart professors and have their minds blown because so-and-so is so smart. He don't believe in God. He must be right because he's got all kind of PhDs. PhD means piled high and deep. And I won't tell you what a BS means. Just because he's smart don't mean he knows the word of God. Just because he has all kind of degrees and you should have degrees and thank God for degrees. There's some folks in this room got more degrees than a thermometer. Thank God for that. But just because they're smart don't make them right. And if you don't know what you believe, if you're kind of wishy-washy, it'll blow your mind. If you're not stable and standing firm on what you believe, this world's going to blow your mind. I feel like Jude tonight. Contend earnestly. There's all kind of mess out there, but contend earnestly for that faith. Get your Bible out and read about that faith that was once delivered to the saint. Lift your voice. Let's pray together. God, I love you. I thank you for this word tonight, God. I pray that every one of us in this room, God, will know what we believe. I pray that we would contend earnestly. I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.